You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 225 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode we are going to look at the ancient history of psychedelics. And a bit of a spoiler alert, it won't be the last time we do that this month. My guest is author Joshua Wempechat. And let's not waste time and get right into our discussion about ancient use of psychedelics, conspiracies and the mushroom symbolism that is all around us. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So can you tell a bit about uh, who you are and what you do? Uh, Okay, well, um, when I was young, I got very interested in things like magic. And uh, I was a big fan of science fiction and horror films, like a lot of kids are. Uh, But, you know, I was was very interested in it. it. I, I like to try to watch all of them. So... Uh, I grew up with that and uh, carried that into my teen years and started experimenting with psychedelics. Um, And shortly after, started discovering the world of conspiracies. Uh, Graduated high school in 1987 and started to go to work for Greenpeace. And after I did that for a couple years, uh, I found that hemp legalization would accomplish uh, about, you know, maybe 80% of the different things that we were trying to accomplish in Greenpeace. Uh, so I left Greenpeace and went to work for hemp legalization with Jack Herrer in California uh, in 1991. And I stuck with that till 1999 uh, when I moved up north. And in the process of that, we helped legalize medical marijuana in California. And uh, Jack Herrer introduced me to John Allegro's uh, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross while I was working with him. And that was my first introduction to the idea that uh, Jesus was a mushroom or that, um, you know, psychedelics had any influence on our religious history. Um, at the same time, I had, uh, uh, right around the time I was working for Greenpeace, I started going to UFO conferences and I met Bill Cooper and Jordan Maxwell. <clears throat> and I got introduced to secret symbolism and the idea that there were UFOs, you know, and uh, aliens in the government or behind the secret societies working uh, to keep the planet under some sort of control. So some of that's what came into forming what I, what I did. I, I went to work for hemp, you know, in legalization. I went to work with medical marijuana clubs up in Northern California for a while. And, uh, you know, all of that's changing now. <clears throat> so I started writing a book. You mentioned Jack Herer, right? The name is familiar to me. I can't place it. All I know is that I've smoked Jack Herer weed in Amsterdam one time. Can you talk a bit about who he was? Yeah, yeah. Well, he he passed away several years ago, <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, after uh, a couple strokes and some heart problems. But he was most famous for writing the book The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And The Emperor Wears No Clothes was about the 50,000 commercial uses for cannabis or hemp, uh, not just, you know, smoking it or using it medicinally, but how the seeds were the number one source of protein, how Henry Ford used to build his cars out of hemp, 
how we could use it to make biodegradable plastics, <clears throat> how we could use it to make the biomass to run as a, uh, uh, to, as a fuel source to run cars. Uh, there were so many different things that could be done with hemp. It was the strongest, longest lasting uh, form of uh, <clears throat> fiber that was known to man. So it was, you know, uh, 10 times uh, stronger than cotton, longer lasting than cotton. So all these facts uh, that we never knew about hemp and marijuana were in the book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. Um, he taught us how Betsy Ross made the first American flag from cannabis hemp, how uh, the founding fathers were hemp farmers, um, how the Bill of Rights and the Constitution were printed on hemp paper. Uh, so all of these different things, you know, we learned about and, uh, being around Jack helped me understand uh, the power, you know, that a single individual who believed in a cause and what they were doing, what effect that they could have on the world, because uh, his book was the number one selling underground book in, in the country. And he wasn't even aware of the medicinal properties in terms of cancer and Parkinson that been that's been discovered recently. Oh, oh yeah. He, we were, um, we were all talking about all those things because, uh, there were, there was also uh, maybe some of the more recent discoveries that science has uncovered, but a lot of that stuff was also known about, um, preliminarily back in the seventies. Um, you know, there were, there were several books written on cannabis and medicine, uh, throughout the seventies, but Jack was the kind of person where he would find every book that had any important information that was relative to what he was doing. So when he wrote The Emperor, he kind of went around digging. And so it was it was paper, food, fuel, uh, plastics, medicine. Um, you know, it was all of those those subjects were involved in the book. Yeah. You also mentioned a couple of people uh, connected with the UFO community. Uh, can you talk a bit about who those people are? Because people might not know. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Bill Cooper, you know, he wrote Behold a Pale Horse, and that book became probably the most influential uh, book on the secret government and the UFOs and the aliens uh, working with the government and secret alliances and treaties. Um, he was a naval officer who uh, was shown at some point found some documents that related to uh, Majestic 12, MJ-12, <clears throat> and <clears throat> later on, he, he came out and he said that maybe he was actually shown those documents intentionally to get him to believe something that he might have been uh, uh, played somehow. But um, his book was very it was very good. It had a lot of different aspects of the, the you know, the conspiracy that we consider now, um, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about and consider now are things that he was writing about back around 1990. Um, and, and Jordan Maxwell, <clears throat> he's um, he's the uh, probably the foremost you know world expert on symbolism. Um, from what I understand, when he was a child, uh, his mother's uh, brother or his uncle was in the Vatican, and he would sit around the the the, the family uh, would talk about you know different powerful moves that were going on in the world, and he would overhear some of these conversations and. So he's devoted his life to studying uh, the symbolism and the secrets uh, within Freemasonry, the Illuminati, uh, the different secret societies, and how they work with, uh, um, you know, to control the world. So uh, very early on, I watched his basic slide presentation, and I learned the power of uh, symbols 
and how much they're hidden all around us. So that was something that really carried me into my future. And I started looking for symbols everywhere. So more recently, when I had a, a near-death experience, I was not really in my body completely. And I was looking around and I started seeing the mushroom symbolism everywhere. And uh, they kind of woke me up to start looking deeper and deeper. What instigated the near-death experience? Uh, too much nitrous oxide in a short period of time. And I wouldn't recommend that. You know, some people just like to do balloons. But uh, when you really like those kinds of things, people find themselves doing whole tanks. <laughs> so I was doing that over a period of a few weeks. And uh, I, I, I was pretty far out of my body for a period of time. I was also in a very suicidal state, I think. I didn't really care very much about certain things. I didn't know what direction I was supposed to take or I didn't know if there was anything left, uh, any purpose of going on at a certain point. Um, just had a lot of negative things building up in my mind, so I wasn't taking very good care of myself. In terms of the UFO conspiracies, uh, which camp do you belong to? Because there's many theories, like they're already here, they've been here, they're coming, or the one I like is the Terence McKenna, where they're uh, actually in the mushroom, like they're coming interdimensionally. I would say that is the closest to uh, what I've come to understand. Um, I've studied the ancient aliens uh, for a long time. I've read Zachariah Sitchin. I I read William. Excuse me. <clears throat> I read William Bramley's Gods of Eden when I was younger, and I, I took a great interest in the idea that uh, an ancient civilization was here or that maybe there were aliens here on this planet. And after about 30 years of research now, I've come to the realization that there really is no evidence that I've seen for any sort of physical extraterrestrial beings on this planet. I've never seen an, an image of a real one you would think that if they were here that we would see something like that by now. Um, we have images of crafts. Uh, I believe there are orbs. I believe there are uh, UFOs. Um, I've used to interact with ghosts when I was a child. I used to play with Ouija boards and I used to play with the supernatural and found that there's definitely something out there and on the other side. Uh, but I think we have a, a big misunderstanding of it and part of that is due to propaganda and maybe mind control. But we have the idea that uh, they all have to come here in physical vehicles and that they have occupants that are physical and that they travel through space to get here. And I think it makes a lot more sense when you consider the idea that spores can travel through space, that the, uh, the, that the mushroom itself is something that can travel through space. and. And then we have to consider what, how is the how is the mushroom related to the UFO? And so that's a big question uh, that I've taken into consideration that I've been trying to figure out most of my life. And uh, I think I only got a little, uh, a bit closer while I was writing the book. Yeah, I think Terence is, is onto something there. So what is this book you're writing? I call it uh, Ancient Psychedelia, Alien Gods and Mushroom Goddesses. And what it is, is it's the history of psychedelics uh, through symbolism and imagery. 
So I use cave art and glyphs, stellas, uh, rock stone stellas, uh, Christian art, um, uh, coins, and artifacts to you to show the symbolism and the imagery of the mushroom uh, as representative of the. Uh, I, I guess what you would say the mystery and uh, but the, the main thing that, 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 that that's hidden that that's uh, it, the root of religion the um, it's a the basis for spirituality and understanding it's the key that's moved us forward it's the uh, what has given us the inspiration for things like the wheel things like arrows things like spears uh, things like the ridges on the edge of on the edges of our coins. Um, it's been responsible for pretty much. It ties in maybe one or two steps off related to almost every single thing that goes down in history that we that we currently know about, like all of our myths, all of our fairy tales, um, the greatest writers, the greatest artists. Uh, they've all employed the mushroom secretly, and that's that's the thread that connects all of this. And it, it's it's basically at the heart of a lot of conspiracy stuff too, um, that a lot of people aren't really familiar with or under, don't really understand very well. I think. So what what kind of conspiracy is connected with the mushroom? You would say. Religion is the biggest one. The Catholic Church and religion itself, um, they're fully aware of of what the mushroom is and the entirety of the Catholic Church and religion that we see, currently see today with Christianity, Judaism, and Islam is a result of the religion of the mushroom that preceded it and uh, the, the matriarchy that preceded it. Um, so the church is uh, basically the, the patriarchal takeover of a world religion that utilized the mushroom previously that was very in touch with nature. So... I guess you could say everything that's come out of religion, everything that's come out of the church, is that's the biggest part of the conspiracy right there. I'm sure you can be a bad person and do psychedelics, but I uh, I find it hard to believe that the people in the, currently in the Vatican, for instance, that they, well, they might know what the mushroom is, but I don't think they've used it because if they w would have used it regularly or take high doses, it would be hard to keep the Vatican going if you're working there, you know? I absolutely agree. I, I, <clears throat> I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I, I can only speculate on it um, because of where we're at in time, uh, looking back and how I've been studying the ancient history leading up to where we are today. It appears that <clears throat> the the first royal families were shamanic families. Um, the the royalty of France, of England, of Europe, Scotland, Germany, these are shamanic families. Um, in the heart of the families, they they use the entheogens at the top levels. Today, uh, I I think they probably still do to some degree. Um, but how much are they involved in controlling the world and running the affairs of things? They're not. They have other people doing that. And so I think it's compartmentalized in the Vatican as well. 
You have people who have to understand what's going on so they can tell the artists how to employ the mushroom in the art and how to keep it in there. You also have people who explain to people the history of, of the spirituality in the religion as they go up different levels in the secret society of the church. Uh, you have to have people that remember these things to be able to explain it to people. So I don't think it's everybody, but I, I do think there's a few people there who still remember and who still have the idea. Um, for instance, we have a pine cone that's in the middle of the Vatican today. And that pine cone is where the Amanita muscaria grows in, uh, in a mycorrhizal relationship with the, the pine tree. So we have uh, the source of the tree of life, and we have the tree of life uh, basically being represented right there in the Vatican, in the heart of the, in the middle of the Vatican. The pine cone could also be the pineal gland. We could, we, it could be, and uh, I used to think that that's what it was, uh, a hidden symbol for, but there is much less evidence to show that the pine cone in the Vatican has something to do with the pineal gland. There's less of a connection between the pine cone and the pineal as there is the pine cone and the mushroom. And the mushroom is prevalent throughout Christian art and Christian uh, stellas uh, much, much more than the idea of the third eye itself. Uh, so you could you could say the eye of Horus uh, you know, it looks like the pineal gland, and the eye of Horus can represent the mushroom. And you could say that the uh, the ancients had an understanding that there was a connection between the mushroom and the pineal gland, but we didn't call it a pineal gland a long, 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 long time ago. It had a different name. So the name pineal is a more recent uh, uh, creation. So we, we've called the pineal gland the pineal gland probably because the pine cone, not the other way around. Do you, you see what I'm saying? So when you look at Christian art, especially older Christian art, and you see these different mushrooms, some of them are clearly mushrooms. Some of them you wouldn't think were mushrooms unless you read the description that why it is a mushroom. So some of those mushrooms, they don't, they look like other things so they could be other things also uh yeah you know i've gone back and forth in my own mind with that argument uh, uh especially when i want to present it to other people to show them what i'm trying to 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 communicate uh it's very easy for somebody to say oh that's just a tree um it's it's a tree with a rounded uh uh, uh you know top it's you know some trees grow more like that this is the key, though, to understanding the, 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 the symbolism. All of it, when you see it, you know, like I've put together in my book, pages and pages and pages of it from all around the world, from art uh, and stellas and coins and artifacts, what you see is you see an intention to keep something symbolized and hidden within the imagery that you're looking at. Uh, that's an intentional act to, to hide something and disguise it and to occult it. So you're not going to take a mushroom and occult it and make it a mushroom and put it right in front of somebody. You're going to take it and make it a, an apple or a pomegranate, or you're going to take it and make it a, a, a heart or a rose. And that's what's often done in poetry and myth 
And in most cases, you see that that's what happens. So why would it be any different in art? The danger with that logic is, though, that you could then read it into anything, uh, which could also lead to confusion. Sure, that's why I guess uh, it's it's good to take the context of what you're looking at, uh, to take it into consideration. Um, when you're looking at something like... Um, uh, the Annunciation of Christ maybe in an old painting and you're looking at the sky and you're seeing something like a cloud opening up with rays coming down, uh, that can be, you know, the, if the cloud can look like a mushroom kind of in some of the cases. Uh, so what are we really looking at? Are we looking at the hand of God being uh, coming down from a cloud and that's the, 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 the rays of, of light of God? Or is that the beam from a UFO uh, and bringing somebody up uh, to a higher level of uh, understanding up in in the ab abode of the gods? Or is that uh, you know a mushroom coming out of a cloud being formed by the rain coming down and then bringing some sort of you know internal enlightenment? So we have to be able to to look at it in the context of what it is also that the artist intended. You know, and, and that's just I give that example because it's one that I think we'll, we'll endlessly be looking at and, and wondering about. It's hard to say because I can only speak from my own experiences and that of my friends. But my experience with mushrooms is that it would never lead me to even try and make a secret order or document it in this way or try and keep it secret from people, it would be kind of the opposite reaction, would be my reaction. So I'm wondering where all this comes from. Well, I think you have probably, you're, you're one of the people, um, and I hope there's a lot more like you out there, you know, you have a good heart, and you're the kind of person who wouldn't do that. You take somebody who, um, you know, Charles Manson did a lot of LSD and mushrooms, and he didn't really have, I think, some of the same empathy for humanity. Maybe he had more, you know, there's there's all sorts of reasons, but I think the reasons we do things come down to uh, how strong, uh, you know, we have a heart chakra, how, how much of a heart we have, and how much we have karma, maybe reincarnational issues, things that we're sorting out, we're still learning. Uh, some people are, are control freaks. Uh, they want to. Um, they don't understand uh, the unity of all things. They think they need to take things for themselves. They they need to control in that manner. Um, I can't speak for other individuals. All I can say is that what I understand through history, uh, we have the Brahmins, the the people in India that were doing. They were using the, the mushroom, and at some point they learned maybe before they were Brahmins, but they learned that, hey, you know, if we take the mushroom, we get high, but everybody has the same thing. But see, we've come to understand all this knowledge by using it, and we understand the workings of the mind. We understand magic. What if we uh, limited the amount of access that the population around us had to the mushroom, and we also, we understand that we can drink it, and we can, we can consume it, and then we can urinate, and we can reconsume that urine and it will get us high. So why don't we just consume the mushroom ourselves, like this little group of us, like, you know, and we can just urinate and we'll give that to several people and we'll tell them that we're the messengers of God instead of the mushroom. 
and the people drink the urine, they say, wow, this person must be enlightened and connected to God because I'm getting high. And so that person now becomes a guru. So, you know, move past a couple thousand years, you know, and now you've got a priesthood and the priesthood exists, you know, and they, you know, most people aren't using the mushroom anymore. Uh, I think that's what happened. I think that, you know, you had some people who understood things and then you could have climate changes. You can have different things that occur. Time goes by. People forget the use of it. At the same time, there's a mushroom that looks just like the Amanita, but the, the Pantherina, I think, is the one that I'm, I'm talking about. It's a white mushroom that grows next to the Amanita, but it's not red. But if you eat that one, it'll kill you. So you probably had some people going around, and they were eating these, and they were also dying, and the priesthood could come along and say, ah, see, you shouldn't be eating those. Those are all dangerous. And over time, we start to get a, a mycophobia develops, and only the priesthood has the knowledge now. You mentioned Charles Manson was doing psychedelics and that, and I'm not sure I count him as much because I, for me personally, LSD is a different kind of beast than all these more, I guess you could call them organic or natural psychedelics. But I, I wasn't Charles Manson, but I was closer to Charles Manson before I was doing psychedelics. So what I was meaning, what I meant was that I was a a worse person before psychedelics. So when I took it, I was told you don't do that kind of thing or you don't behave in that way. So that's why it's always uh, amazes me that if there's a priesthood and that if they do psychedelics, I mean, those experiences would stop them from doing that. But I guess, you know, in the the Amazon, you have shamans and you also have dark shamans like brujos that use ayahuasca that do it for power. So I guess uh, it's it's like the Jedi and the Sith, I guess. <laughs> I, I think so, yeah. It's it's very, it's individualistic and, and, and to, it's, it's how we see what we're doing. And if we, you know, I don't think many of the people who are evil see what they're doing as evil. A lot of them think that what they're doing is good. And uh, what I think that, the priesthood does is they they see that look you know we can't force everybody to do psychedelics we also can't put up with all of the people who haven't adjusted their minds and their consciousness and their egos and their souls to living together in a world where they we we live in harmony you know we can't we can't force people to do that and we we can't put up with the people who who aren't willing to, to, to work together to take care of the planet, to take care of each other. So if we can manipulate everybody and we, you know, and we say that we want to do it for, for the good, you know, this is, I think the way that, you know, things like the Illuminati get, get, get going, you know, they have a good intention at first and, uh, you know, it gets corrupted because you can't have good intentions exist, I think, in, a, in an environment of secrecy. You know, you if you have an environment of secrecy around it, then it breeds uh, corruption, I think. And, I, uh, you know, the, the we had some very powerful families in early Rome around the time of the Republic and the time, you know, of the, the rise of the Roman Empire and the Catholic Church. And... I think they saw the world around them as full of people who 
they didn't have the ability to force to educate or to to do anything and they themselves just wanted power they just wanted power and control so you know if you're impatient you want power and control and you get high and you realize hey if we keep everybody else from getting high you know it's going to be a lot better for our family Yes, that could be true. I remember reading, when I was reading about the original plans of the Illuminati, I kind of agreed with them. <laughs> you know, like the ob- abolish all governments, uh, no patriotism, destroy the Catholic Church. It all sounded like a good plan, you know? Right, yeah. I, I think Adam Weishaupt was brilliant. He was a genius. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the way that you go about doing something, though, with, when the ends justifies the means it's no longer a good idea, you know? So, uh, if you have, uh, you know, if you're going to kill people as the means to your end to create world peace, <laughs> it's going to take a long time. So you think that for like in the Illuminati, for instance, that it, uh, the only thing that's really stuck around to the, whatever you call the modern Illuminati is the name. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is, except, um, uh, I think even the Illuminati was probably a tool uh, used, you know, um, this, the, their structures, their tools. They're used by different groups and organizations. Um, I don't know that there's alliances or allegiances that last over over centuries and centuries. You know, the children of, of, of some of these rich families, they don't necessarily, they didn't grow up in the same environment as their great, 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 great ancestors. And so they don't necessarily always have the same views about how they want the world to continue. So I think a lot of times we assume uh, we put names on uh, organizations and groups like that are in control of the world. And we call them the Illuminati when there isn't really a, 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 a unification in all of these organizations is in what they want in the future. And a lot, they're all very power hungry. So when people say we have an Illuminati today, we have a lot of different Illuminatis today, and they're not the same one we had in 1776. I, it's not an experiment I want to do, but do you think that if you, you know, when you do psychedelics and you have an intention, you arrange a set and setting and you try to heal yourself and, you know, you do all that. But if you instead tried to invoke some dark energy and become powerful and become like some... Uh, uh, evil, powerful person, and you had that as your intention. Do you think the psychedelic, whatever psychedelic you use, would uh, help you with that? Well, I, I want to say I think you ask excellent questions. I'm, I'm really, um, you know, the questions that you have are are just excellent. <laughs> um, the dark forces, demonic forces. Um, that's that's. That's an interesting one. I know that there's a lot of uh, modern in currently in the in the conspiracy world, and uh, there's a lot of talk of the interdimensional beings, of you know the the fairies and the elves or the reptilians or different things like that. So that's something you know I've been trying to get to the bottom of my entire life, and uh, I think the darkest forces that can be invoked by anyone using psychedelics have to do with taking myth, mythology, 
and creating a new form of religion that utilizes myth in a higher level of mind control that's ever been done before. So, <clears throat> so it's not an entity that you access from another dimension or another world. It's an idea that you just, you are in touch with a race of beings who tell you things. And uh, I think that's what we've been seeing. Uh, we, we see people who make up things and who weave them around myths. And I, I, I found several occasions of this in the 1500s. Some of the alchemists in the, in the 16th century were doing this. And the same thing is being done today. So I don't believe that demonic forces are accessed, and I don't believe that the UFOs are have access to, you know, that people who are contacting them, maybe through psychedelics, are accessing demonic forces of any kind like that. Um, I think there's a lot of mythology and propaganda in that. I had an ayahuasca ceremony many years ago, and it uh, always uh, stayed with me, this moment when... I uh, was showed all the different powers you could have, dark powers or, or whatever, but uh, the power of the light, or metaphorically like the Jedi power, if you say, um, love or light or the positive power, was like, a, a, you know, if you imagine the whole universe is pitch black and you just light a single match, you, you get the light, you know? So... Uh, Uh, it doesn't matter how big or strong this darkness is, you just need a little light and then it it will uh, win, you know. So uh, that's why I'm always uh, a bit uh, confused or not understanding when dark forces are using psychedelics because I, I've seen this thing where the light is so powerful that the dark forces or evil... Ha can't do anything to defeat it, it reminds me a bit of of uh, this comedian bill hicks thing where he said uh, he said uh, uh, when he was talking about the devil and god and he was saying like what can oppose god's will nothing like so th he was meaning like there is no devil because nothing can oppose god's will you know Right. Well, I think that's uh, 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 one of the good metaphors for that would be the truth. Uh, when you when you stand in the truth, um, the lies can't withstand the the light of the truth. So, um, uh, what what I think we deal with when we deal with darkness a lot of times when we're talking about that, what we could we we could look at also is we could talk about the lies. So there are so many lies right now that plague the internet and that plague our ideas through social media, so much propaganda and so much lies that there's the only thing that can deal with those lies is truth. And I can, I can attest, I can, I can say, you know, testify to this, that within the conspiracy world and within the ideas of the Illuminati, UFOs, the New World Order, Uh, secret societies, um, demonology, um, ancient aliens, uh, uh, reptilians, all of these different things, there, it, there are mostly lies. 
that are being pushed around. So uh, to deal to to have light come through and to have anything positive and to 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 really that's of God, people have to be able to discern from the difference between the the truth and these lies, and that's not very easy these days. Uh, you know, everything that we're being fed in front of us are are the lies. The truth is much, much, much harder to find. Truth is like a needle in a haystack. And people go on the internet and they think that the internet is, you know, is the needle. Now, the internet is the haystack. <laughs> You're going to have to look for that needle. Terence McKenna often said that he was studying art, especially in, in Asia, to see if he could find evidence of Uh, DMT or, or psychedelics and he, he always claimed that he couldn't. He, he was amazed that DMT visuals wasn't appearing in art anywhere. But I recently went to Asia uh, and uh, went to a few places of worship and I saw a lot of DMT art. <laughs> so maybe he had different trips than I have had but uh, I think they're quite, uh, uh, I mean, the DMT realm, as I call it, is very vis visible in Hindu art and in Buddhist art and uh, also in uh, in uh, mo mosques. It, it, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, all of the ancient cultures were experimenting with, with a variety of psychedelics, um, the mushroom being the main one, but uh, the mushroom... The, Psilocybin, psilocin is uh, only one uh, one molecule away from DMT, uh, so it's. Uh, uh, I think that they were, they were also like when you 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 mentioned the unnaturalness of LSD versus mushrooms. Well, LSD comes from ergot, you know, from rye, uh, you know, so it's also natural. It's just synthesized in order to obtain it. So um, it's not that it's not a natural thing to begin with. And the, uh, the ancient people were experimenting with, with ergot on some level. And I don't know exactly to what degree or how, because they didn't, we don't know how they could have possibly extracted it safely. We still can't extract it safely without laboratory equipment, uh, unless we're dealing with LSAs from Morning, morning Glory or, or Woodrose. So... Um, They they might have been in contact with it through those sources, through through the morning glory and the wood rose and some of the seeds that contain the LSAs, um, uh, and they they, you know, the, uh, DMT is available in in small quantities in all kind in all all living animals, uh, uh, plants, people. You know, we all share DMT, so I don't think it was too. Um, too much of a, a jump in, uh, um, uh, I, it was very likely that they had access to, you know, Egyptian pharmacology included knowledge of, you know, tons, lots of different medications and lots of different things. A lot of things that were uh, currently, we think that they couldn't have had knowledge of, they were practicing in ancient Egypt. I think it's just my own personal preference. I always felt LSD to be less natural feeling or uh, I don't know I, I just felt it to be more m mute than the other psychedelics I mean it wasn't speaking to me as much it, it felt more like being drunk in a psychedelic way yeah I think they each have their place um, 
I think it was it was designed for to, uh, a more socially uh, acceptable thing, like people could do it and actually go out and in in public. If you have if you have good LSD, <laughs> if you have a you know some bad stuff, you know, or you take too much, you know, you definitely don't want to be doing anything in public. But I think it was the sort of thing that it uh, allows for more social interaction. Like you see people at concerts and they do it and they interact. All those people were doing mushrooms. The interaction would be a lot stranger. Could be because I only did LSD because I wanted to see what it was. Uh, and because uh, uh, I felt like having tried a lot of psychedelics and not having tried LSD, I felt like I, it was a piece of the puzzle I needed to check out. But I always do psychedelics in the dark uh, as a proper ceremony. And uh, I sit down with whatever psychedelic it is as a teacher and I sit down and listen to it and it shows me things or gives me what I need. And when I did that with the LSD, there was nothing there. That's why I, maybe I had a bad batch, I don't know, but it wasn't speaking as much as the other ones. That's why I felt maybe it is more a social thing. It, it's probably you're you're right because it's it's a lot more removed from uh you know you're not just uh, squeezing the venom out of a toad's glands you're not just uh, harvesting seeds and pressing them you're not just uh, you know you're actually synthesizing that so it's it's a few steps removed from its its plant nature so I mean I think it makes sense that you feel a lot less of the plant spirit influence with something like LSD. But then again, you know, when you extract DMT and you smoke that, then it's like it won't shut up, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. I think the extraction, though, for DMT is, is much more organic and natural than an extraction for to get LSD. You have a, a lot of chemicals and a lot of precursors that are used to, to synthesize the, or to get the LSD from ergot. But, you know, you only need a, a, a simple base and a simple acid pretty much to get it, you know, DMT out of your plant. So what's the point of all this work you're doing? What's uh, Why is it important to know all this? Well, that's a good question too. Uh, everything we do, everything we believe, every, everything we create in this world is based on what reality we believe. So uh, the world, you know, we're creating currently, I believe, I feel like we're creating a world of shit because we believe a bunch of shit. And one of the things is one of the sources of that shit is the religion. And so the, 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 the truth behind the whole religion is we have a, the cow gives us the mushroom uh, because of its shit, because of its dung. So the mushrooms grow from, you know, one of the sources for, of the mushrooms is from the cows. The cows were a big source of inspiration in religion, and uh, modern-day religion is just a bunch of cow shit or bullshit. So what we need to do is we need to understand uh, the roots of that and 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 get to the truth, so we can get back to you know creating a world that's based on reality, and that's based on fixing and healing the planet, and uh, you know. Religion right now is the cause, probably the biggest cause of war in the world. Um, if people didn't believe that their religion was right and everybody else's religion was wrong, well, the powers that be would not be able to get the people to go to war nearly as easily. 
So having an understanding of the uh, uh, that we all have share the same roots in our beliefs in God or the goddess, that we everything goes back to the same origin, and it all came from the same origin, which is the mushroom. Having a true understanding of that, I think, will allow people to see that we all really do believe a lot of the same things. And once we see that, I think it's going to be a lot harder for the powers that be to manipulate us into war. Um, when somebody's done reading my book, they will no longer be a Jew. They will no longer be a Christian. They will no longer be a Muslim. They will once again be a human, and they can have they can have whatever ideas they want. They can uh, 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 worship God or the great goddess or whatever, or some alien, if that's what they want to do, however they want to. But at least by that time, they're going to have an understanding of that their religion came from the same place everybody else's religion came from. And that they're not any more special, and they're not any different. And that's, that's, I'm absolutely sure that that will be accomplished, um, you know, through the reading of my book and the understanding of the information that's in there. So I, I think that that, that should share, you know, shed some light on in the world and help you know in some small way it's ironic that in almost all religions it's a sort of deadly sin to kill and you're not allowed to kill so it's ironic that if it's that's true then they're all all of them are going to hell who's that are fighting for their religion you know Sure, sure. Well, the, the the real hell they're going to go through is when they finally take the mushroom one day and realize how bad they've been. <laughs> you know, you can't go around committing, you know, hurt against other people and not and never see that you're really hurting yourself. You know, eventually one day you'll see you've been hurting yourself the whole time. So, um, yeah, it's that's going to be hellish for a lot of people. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to be them. And and I wouldn't want to be the Pope when my book comes out. <laughs> so when is your book coming out and where can people get it? Uh, it should be available late August um, or September. Uh, if all goes well, I'm going to try to start a Kickstarter campaign uh, in the late part of May and run it through the middle or the beginning of July. Uh, that's the idea right now. Uh, the book's being edited currently. So I'm waiting for some... Uh, some uh, some of that to finish that up and that's just about done do you have a website or anything like that if people want to check it out yes uh, they can go to ancientpsychedelia.com or they can check me out on facebook at secret symbolism secret symbolism or on facebook at secret symbolism i mean uh, uh twitter at secret symbolism cool well uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me Thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on. And um, yeah, this was very, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. He was talking about the devil and God, and he was saying like, "What can oppose God's will? Nothing." Like so, he was meaning like there is no devil because nothing can oppose God's will. You know, the devil. That, that still exists, that concept? Real, does it really exist still? The devil? A devil really exists? Does it really, y'all? Well, tell me something. What could oppose God's will? <laughs> Nothing, could it? <laughs> a delightful little realization. Nothing could oppose God's will! Not, nothing! 
Went out my wheel. I go, Okay. Well, tell me something. What could oppose God's will? Nothing could oppose God's will. Not nothing. Go to ancientpsychedelia.com if you want to find out more. Now, as you all know, I have a Patreon page and I hope you like this podcast enough to become patrons. That would really be appreciated. And to all of you that are already patrons, thanks for your continued support. It means a lot. Now, if you want to be a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. Or simply click the link in the program notes over at naturalbornalchemist.com. Sometimes I receive reviews on iTunes and you are welcome to leave your own review. Here's one from someone called Exhaler. I'm so glad I found this podcast. Amazing host and interesting guests speaking about the most fascinating sorts of subjects. Thanks for the nice words. Many years ago I discovered a little band called Tiger Tunes. They're no longer active but music is eternal. So here is the song Folio from their album Absolutely Worthless Compared to Important Books. If you like what you hear why don't you buy it on CD, stream it or get it on vinyl or something. In any case take care, see you all in a week. Freedom is in the mind.